0: It's The In Show, Australia's only show dedicated to innovation from Adelaide, Australia and across the globe. It's David Grice and Troy Simcock. We're talking all about innovation and the inspiring stories behind those people that identify problems that they think that they can solve. The betterment of the human race.
1: Yeah, I love their stories. I really love to to understand their highs and lows and what they've gone through to get to where they are. And the fact that they've built a community of people around them to really make these ideas not just a great idea, but something that really works.
0: Yeah, people really are standing for people, that's for sure. And if you enjoy the In Show, make sure you subscribe to our new feed in Apple Podcasts to keep listening to the In Show podcast. Just resubscribe to the In Show with the coloured logo because the black and white one is going to disappear at some point and we. Don't want you missing out on more innovation and inspiration. Now, David, you were in Austin, Texas for South by Southwest Festival. That sounded absolutely incredible.
1: Yeah, fresh off the plane and uh, what an incredible experience South by Southwest is. I mean, I've been four times now, but it never ceases to amaze me how the city just comes alive and it's just full of people and music and all sorts of weird and wonderful things go on.
0: And you got to catch up with some incredibly influential people up to big things.
1: Yeah, look, I I was really, really fortunate. I mean, I was back to back with meetings for the whole time I was there. I got to speak on a panel about how to build a music city using technology. And I also had the opportunity to talk to a number of people that are doing some incredible innovation in the media industry. Paul O'Brien's one of those guys. They've got a a company called Media Tech Ventures, and they're doing some incredibly impressive things around the convergence of media and technology. And what he's got to share with us is just absolutely extraordinary. extraordinary. I also had the privilege of spending over 40 minutes with the Mayor of Austin, Steve Adler, and I was surprised by how Steve got into politics in the first place, but we
2: really uncovered his passion for the city. So there was a group of us, a large group of us, that thought that we really needed to reach outside of the incumbents and, and bring in a mayor that would also be new to help take the city to this new place. And my uh, wife uh, turned to me at one point and said, you know, you either need to do this or don't ever come home and complain again because you will have lost the moral authority to do that. So I did. So I, I, I ran and what an honor to be mayor of this city at this time.
0: More from the Mayor of Austin, Steve Adler, later in the show. But now here's Claire with more in news, including a story about why humans have no choice but to colonise Mars. What else have you got for us, Claire?
3: Cheers, guys. In a world first, researchers in the US have found a way to restore sensation in people with upper body prosthetic limbs. This breakthrough is important because at the moment, people with amputated limbs can't actually sense their prosthetics' presence. Prosthetic limbs don't receive kinesthetic feedback, which means they can't act on instinct. They have to physically look at the artificial limb to know that they are moving it. But this is all about to change because the scientists from Cleveland Clinic have created a neural interface that can make a prosthetic limb feel like another part of the body. The two-way network does this by vibrating the nerves found near the amputation site which have been attached to the surviving muscle. During testing, patients have been able to perform actions without looking at their artificial limb because it just feels like a natural part of their body. The researchers are looking forward to improving the interface. Elon Musk believes humans absolutely have to colonise Mars if we want to survive a third world war or the uprising of AI technology. The founder of Tesla and SpaceX has suggested a self-sustaining base on the red planet would be safer and far enough away from Earth than a base station on the moon. At the moment, SpaceX is developing a vehicle that can transport humans to Mars. But even Elon Musk has admitted that creating and sustaining a colony on Mars isn't going to be easy. It would be dangerous but exciting all at once. It would also require a lot of costly resources. Of course, the first people who are sent to Mars would have a tough time as they'll have the huge task of creating a hospitable environment for those who arrive after them. It seems like an exciting concept but I wonder how many people would be willing to risk their lives for something that's not guaranteed to work out. Although considering the rising nuclear tension between the US and North Korea and the rate at which AI technology is developing this could be a fantastic... Fantastic last resort escape plan. And that's what's in news this week.
0: Well, David, how do you feel about colonizing Mars? It's
1: really gonna take something, huh? I mean, look, with the building background, Troy, I've gotta say that my head straight away goes to the infrastructure. And how the heck are they going to build things that people can live in there? How are they gonna create this ecosystem that grows plants and does all these other things? I was thinking about, you know, when you build a house, you've got to build a foundation. So it's concrete, goes in the ground, and then everything else gets attached to that. But in zero gravity, I wonder how that's going to work. Yeah, I
0: mean, that's going to really take something. I mean, things in the past have seemed impossible that we now see a reality. So I've got no doubt that they'll actually get those things done. It's going to take some time because it's, you know, pretty much uncharted water. And if anyone's going to get it done, it'll be Elon Musk.
1: I mean, the thing is that to actually think that we can colonize somewhere like Mars is just profound in the first place. But the fact that now they're developing vehicles for us to be able to get there in the first place mm. means then that all of this is possible. I mean, what's going to be next? And
0: what would you start with? Would you start with water? Would you start with the crops, as you suggested? You know, And what would you build first if you were building something?
1: Well, I mean, it brings that whole thing. You know, We're talking about autonomous flying vehicles in the world we live in. Now, imagine up there. They wouldn't even need roads because it's space. mm
0: that's right. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting to see what happens on that front. David Grice and Troy Sincock, we're talking innovation on The In Show. You can check us out at the theinshow.online, Facebook, and follow The In Show on Twitter as well. But coming up, David was in Austin, Texas for South by Southwest Festival, and he caught up with Paul O'Brien from Austin's Media Tech Ventures. We're going to find out how they raise capital and grow the media industry there. It's all about innovation. The In Show.
4: Hi, I'm Janine Malcolm from Tech TechBG's Hackathon and you're listening to The In Show.
0: It's David Grice and Troy Sincock. Now, we have been nominated in the Australian Podcast Awards. Make sure you check out australianpodcastawards.com. We're in the business and marketing category and we'd love to get you a vote. The In Show. Now, David, you had an incredible week in Austin, Texas for South by Southwest Festival. Absolutely did. And uh,
1: incredible amount of people that I was able to meet. I, I was back to back from the minute I got off the plane and uh, and just hearing about what is going on, not just in the music industry, but also within you know interactive and entertainment and gaming and all sorts of different things that are, that are actually emerging, coming out of all sorts of places in the world. Now, we're going to hear your chat with uh, Mayor of Austin, Steve Adler, a little bit later on in the show,
0: but you caught up with a guy who's in the midst of creating something that I'd really like to see happen here in Adelaide, South Australia, where we are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're talking to uh, Paul O'Brien, who is at the helm of an organisation called Media Tech Ventures. Now, these guys are working in the media industry, but they're working out how to provide funding, input into talent, find resources that bring technology and media together, and they're working with all sorts of people in government and studios and investors and musicians. It all seems to fold in to what they're on about. Now, Paul's actually a veteran from Silicon Valley. He started his career at Yahoo. Now, remember that as a search engine. We don't even know it anymore, pretty Mm -hmm. much. His real core competency is around web-based ventures, finding funding, and his real passion, though, is in radio and PR. And I started by asking Paul about Media Tech Ventures and what they're up to.
5: David, I'm excited to see you in Austin. We're here at South by Southwest, and it's probably the best way to appreciate what we're doing in Media Tech Ventures. Uh, my name is Paul O'Brien. I grew up in Michigan when the economy was struggling. Spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley when it was thriving. And I found myself in Austin for about eight years trying to figure out how we help innovators in media, music, film, video games, publishing media, it really doesn't matter, how we help those innovators find access to capital, how they get funded and, and convince and, and teach investors how to appreciate what it is that they do.
1: It's a, it's a really sort of noble cause because you know around the world we're finding that, that we've got these startups and innovators happening and and. Most often, the startups that we speak to, is, it's all about how they can get the next level of capital so that they can continue to grow their businesses. Do you see anything else apart from capital being the sort of barriers for, for these startups?
5: Yeah, in fact, that's, that's exactly why we started Media Tech Ventures. What we saw was that the, the skill set with regard to technology, the level of experience with regard to technology, uh, is, is simply not keeping up with the pace of innovation. And and so if you, you think of yourself as a startup founder, uh, one of the most significant challenges is just introducing to your audience, your consumers, what you're doing and how it's possible, how the technology makes that possible. Now imagine having to do that with an investor that is just as behind the curve with regard to the pace of change. Uh, you have to teach them how the technology works. You have to teach them how your market adoption is going to work. You have to teach them why anybody cares what it is that you're doing. What we wanted to focus on was the thought that the capital follows the technology. Uh, And in teaching communities, in teaching customers and partners, in teaching investors how the technology is changing, we can move capital out of other industries into the media ecosystem at a much faster pace.
1: I mean, it's really awesome to hear about the, the fact that you're even thinking about getting the capital out of other industries. I mean, most of the, the startups in Australia are looking at their own industry to try and find the funding to make their startups real. What else is important in terms of city partnerships and, uh, and, and other partnerships around that you couldn't really live without to do what you do?
5: Yeah, great, great question. Because if you think about it, as as an entrepreneur, in fact, Capital comes from any source. Uh, A customer, think about this for a moment, David. A customer is, in fact, an investor in a startup. They're taking a risk on your product. They're taking a risk on your idea by paying for it. Frankly, that's what an investor is doing. The city does the same thing. The the, The city has to invest in... Entrepreneurs based on what it sees going on in, in the region, what it what it sees going on in the local ecosystem. And so the city can do that in a number of different ways. They can support education, they can support infrastructure, they can support real estate, they can support public policy. That enables entrepreneurs to be more effective and efficient. And that in turn moves capital. Some of that capital comes from the public sector. Some of the capital indeed comes from the public and from the city. When there are grants available for innovation or there are grants available for workforce development uh, or innovation, an entrepreneur, a founder, needs to be looking to those and to the the local legislators and politicians as a potential source of capital, just as they might be looking to a place like Silicon Valley or New York and the investment community or to local angel investors who understand what it is that you're doing.
1: We're very fortunate. Adelaide and Austin are a sister city, as you know. Um in Adelaide at the moment, we're, we're enjoying this amazing political time where both levels of government, our, our local councils and, uh, and our state government have a real focus on creating jobs and entrepreneurship and, and incubating ideas and startups. How, how is that for you in Austin? Are you getting great support from, um, from programs and, and uh, you know grant funding and things like that? Or is, it, is working with your bureaucracies a little bit more difficult than that?
5: Wonderful question, because what you might explore is that what the cities are looking for is domain expertise. They're looking for a way to distinguish themselves. And the fact that Adelaide and Austin are are sister cities, I think, is is a brilliant opportunity for us together because we're both very creative class, what's considered a creative class uh, city. Uh, A lot of arts, a lot of music, a lot of of, uh, design and, and, and filmmaking supported by the technology community. What we've seen in Austin is a shift almost from being simply the live music capital of the world or being a film community, of which there are many, to instead being this innovative ecosystem for media. And it's in distinguishing ourselves in Austin that we've enabled the legislators, we've enabled the commissions, we've enabled the mayor to have a distinct talking point about Austin, about why Austin, right? Why Austin and why not Des Moines, Iowa, Right? Why, not? Why not London? Well, because Austin is a unique place in the world where this creative class of talent, artists, musicians, filmmakers, and technology professionals and startup founders are colliding. And that's very distinct, if you think about it, that's very distinct from Silicon Valley in particular, which is how we're starting to move capital from other parts of the world and other industries. We're saying, look, we're not building the infrastructure that Silicon Valley built. We're not building the semiconductor and the PC and the and the iPhone, but we are building the next generation of how we consume media, how we consume entertainment, how we consume media in other industries. And that's because of the fact that we have these distinct skill sets and classes in this region of the world that enable us to do something very different.
1: I noticed how passionate you are about this, and uh, is, is, is this something that you've spent your lifetime sort of working towards and, and working through, or, or is this something that's kind of hit you in the head, and you've just said, yes, I've got to go with this?
5: <laughs> both, actually. <laughs> Funny way to ask it, because I, honestly, both. I, I started my career in radio uh, before podcasting was a thing, and And I got recruited to Yahoo. And and so my my earliest experience with media was by way of the Internet, by way of digital media, by way of advertising online, by way of the early days of streaming. Because my career started right around the same time that Yahoo acquired Broadcast.com, Mark Cuban's company. And that became Yahoo Music, which became Yahoo Film. None of which really worked terribly well, yeah. which in hindsight was a great lesson, right? That, yeah. that we have to understand and, and keep up with the pace of change in technology. I didn't stick with media. I, I ended up working a lot with the venture capital community and serving entrepreneurs in in California. It was only when I moved to Austin and I noticed that our live music community was struggling. And I noticed that the venues here were struggling. And I noticed that our film community was... was Uh, sitting on studio space that was going unused, that on one hand I saw an aspect of the creative class, an aspect of the media industry that that wasn't embracing technology. Right alongside of the advertising community, video game community, social media community here in Austin, which was doing just the opposite. It was thriving, raising money, building companies, employing people. And, And I took that to the city and to the state and said, I think there's something to be learned from here. Why is it that one set of creative professionals uh, is thriving because of their embrace of technology and the other set of professionals is struggling? Uh, Let's fix that. Uh, I stumbled into it. It it hit us over the head that we needed to stop thinking of music or publishing uh, or video games or film as industries. We instead needed to think of them as verticals within the media industry the media being the creative side of of the content that we produce, and then focus on the technology and innovation therein to help folks understand what's going on, to help folks be successful as musicians, given the fact that a musician today, frankly, needs to understand how to podcast, needs to understand what to do with video, needs to know what it takes to build a website, which isn't much, by the way. (laughs) The musician can thrive today because there's so much that they can do themselves, Mm. thanks to technology.
1: I'm seeing a lot around the, the data analytics, especially around things like sentiment, consumer sentiment on particular products and services. I know in the wine industry in Australia, there's a whole uh, bunch of analysis going on on how consumers feel about the wine bottle, how they feel about the labelling, and also about the uh, the flavour of the of the product. I'm also now starting to see that kind of sentiment analysis going around for music and technology in terms of Um, You know, how how is uh, a marketing message being perceived? And it's by scrolling all of the the posts that are going around on social media and, and everything that's printed in newspapers. Are people effectively getting their messaging out and they're able to actually see this and see where the influencers are in that space? Is that something that you're seeing a lot of here as well?
5: Both, for the most part, yes. But for the most part, I'm seeing it uh, by, by way of the social data platforms, right? The social media experiences that, uh, the, you know, the challenge in sentiment analysis is that, to, I hate to use the buzzword, but it's such a big data set, such a big data challenge, that that what what tends to create flaws in sentiment analysis is when a set of data is not included in whatever it is that that's being looked at, right? So Facebook can do it. Twitter can do it. YouTube can do it, uh, but beyond that, as an example, beyond that, it's incredibly difficult to do uh, at, at an accurate scale. Um, I'm much more intrigued by in, in our world, in the media world. I'm much more intrigued by the possibilities with regard to uh, I- emotional uh, analysis, with regard to uh, taste makers. Almost your point about wine. I mean, how do you how do you really understand whether or not uh, an artist or a film or or a video game is something that you're going to like? Uh, not just because of your tastes, but maybe maybe it's something that you're going to like because of your mood, your present, your present feeling, your 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 emotions, and what you're what you're seeking. No, that's the kind of sentiment that I think is. Interesting, and that starts to bleed into a little bit of that potential we were referring to, that starts to bleed into what AI might make possible, this artificial intelligence that can look at the uh, nature of content, the context of content, the semantics of content, and create much more personalized experiences for people.
1: So let's move on to MediaTek Ventures. What does your day-to-day look like? What, do you, what, are, you, what are you doing and working on at the moment that you're able to share with us?
5: <laughs> well, we, sh- we share everything. We're, we're, we're a pretty open book, uh, and, and, and I say that because our, our values, our, our mission is based on trying to be very open and transparent about the ecosystem and the networks and the data that's available in the way that media evolves today. Uh, what we're working on <laughs> is, is a much more complicated question. Think of us this way. Uh, media Tech Ventures is a holding company. We, we set out to build Virgin or build Alphabet, if you're familiar with Alphabet, which owns Google and, and YouTube. We set out to do that backwards. We started with Alphabet. We, we started with, with Virgin, a holding company, with a purpose of moving capital more effectively and efficiently into a specific industry, that industry being media technology. We do that by developing partnerships, buying assets or building them ourselves if they don't exist, partnering, building, or buying in five different verticals that we believe comprise uh, every industry. They comprise the framework of a healthy ecosystem. Those five things are that we work in what we consider the network. Who are all the people? Uh, We we work with events. We work in events at South by, for example. Uh, We're building infrastructure to find people all of the people that work in media technology everything from a sound engineer to a video game producer that's number one we got to know who the people are number two we have to teach we have to teach both the individuals the skills that they need to thrive and we have to teach entrepreneurs and startups how to be successful companies number two is education in our model uh, we have a nonprofit entity that does that number three is real estate Uh, We're opening in in Austin uh, a real estate hub uh, for media technology uh, and developing studios throughout the world to enable professionals to have access to the infrastructure that they need to connect and meet uh, and develop what they're working on. Number three is real estate. Number four is what we call the platform. Uh, An industry has to know what the platform is upon which it works. Uh, We've developed what's considered a startup studio business model. Uh, developers, marketing folks, and media producers who help entrepreneurs. Uh, we take a little bit of equity in companies, and they're available at a cost uh, to help a startup fill a gap, help a startup create content or produce some software or, or develop their marketing roadmap. Uh, the objective there is really just to help the industry do things effectively, do things well. And then the last piece of what we do is considered uh, the promotion of the industry Uh, and the easiest way to digest what that means in the context of an industry is to think of a place like Hollywood. Hollywood thrives because of the Oscars and because of Variety magazine. Uh, You have to promote the industry. You have to have SAG and and trade associations. And so we're developing magazines and and podcast networks and conferences uh, and associations that promote the idea of media technology and all of us uh, folks like yourselves, David, who, the, all of us who work within this industry and help not just the entrepreneurs but help the public sector, help the private sector, uh, and, and help the investors uh, move capital into into what it is that the innovators are doing for us.
1: How important is it for you as, as a you know, from a personal perspective to have somebody that is giving you input so that you're able – because you're obviously giving a lot of yourself to others uh, through what you do – how important is it for you to have somebody, a mentor or, or somebody that is is the person or the people that are that continually giving you the input so that you can keep going and doing what you, you're doing?
5: Here? None of this is possible without that. Uh, and, and if I were to leave everyone with, with the most important advice that I could offer, it, it is that fact. Not, no entrepreneur is successful without that mentorship, without, a, without that advisor network. Uh, in, a, in addition to Media Tech Ventures... I'm the director of a program called Founder Institute uh, for Texas. Founder Institute is a an idea stage incubator out of uh, California. And in that program, we talk about, I talk about the idea that before an entrepreneur even starts, they need to sit down with at least 500 people and have a conversation. They need to get that input. Uh, because what I think the, the industry makes a bit of a mistake about, the, the startup industry makes a bit of a mistake about, is suggesting that, the customers are the people who can best advise you as to what you should do. I actually think that's wrong as a startup. What I advise people to think about is that your initial customers, potential customers, need to be treated more like advisors. They need to be treated as sources of information, not as customers. What they're going to tell you more likely than not is what not to do. Right? A customer is going to sit down with you and say, nope, I would never use that. Nope, I wouldn't do that. Nope, I wouldn't pay that. And that's what you want to listen to first. Because as a startup, as an entrepreneur, as an innovator, your customer's not likely to know, in fact, what you should do. Mm. What you're doing is so new, (laughs) how likely is it that the customer knows? So you work with these advisors and mentors, which, which are really just your initial customers, to figure out what to avoid doing first. And then surround yourself with a team of mentors, advisors, and frankly, partners. Uh, that become your sounding board for absolutely everything you do. In the case of Media Tech Ventures, we've got a very diverse uh, cap table on purpose. There are 20 people involved from day one just to ensure that none of us are, are making the decisions about how this might work because we're all humble enough and, and experienced enough to know that not one of us... Uh, knows what we could or, or should be doing. Much better to, to develop this collaborative, I think. And it's driving then this culture that we have in our work that if we can work with Musitech out of, out of Australia, we can work with uh, uh, The Rattle out of, out of London, we can work with 2112 out of Chicago, we're going to do that because that's our purpose. Our purpose is to make sure that all of what we're doing a little bit more effective than it was yesterday.
1: And how do you find these influences? Like, is there a process that you go through to actually find a person that's going to give you the input, or is it something that is built on relationship over a long time, that um, you, you have somebody that is, is more of a friend than a mentor?
5: I have a process. I don't, I don't, you know, it's certainly not the right process, necessarily, but I do have a process. I, I'm a heavy user of LinkedIn, Twitter, and a platform called Quora. And not a lot of people are on Quora, but Quora is essentially the question and answer platform that folks who who like to mentor and advise and folks who have questions turn to to get the support. And my process is to correlate one to the other. You know, I look for people on LinkedIn that have experience, that have a network, that have some influence. I turn to Quora to see if they're there, if they're participating, if they're contributing, if they're asking questions and, and providing feedback. And then I look to Twitter in the same way. Are they active? Are they responsive? Uh, is it just a bot on Twitter? Or, or is there a person behind there who's actually responding to things? And with those three platforms in place, it's not hard to discern that, yes, someone indeed has experience and influence and reputation, good. Two, they like to support people and like to give back. And three, they're an influencer. They have an impact on the world today. Those three things i found help uncover for any entrepreneur a great roster of folks that you want to turn to first to get perspective on things
0: that was david's chat in austin texas at south by southwest festival with paul o'brien from media tech ventures now if you've missed an episode of the InShow, make sure you subscribe to the InShow podcast on itunes be sure to resubscribe to our new feed that's the in Show with the colored logo up next we hear more of david's adventures in austin texas when he catches up with mayor of austin steve adler to find out how he got into politics and his vision for an innovative austin
4: Download the Phoner app before you head to your next event. Find people easier, market yourself better and get connected using Phoner. That's spelled P-F-O-N-R. Phoner. Available in the App Store now. Hi, I'm Eva Balan-Vnook from Microsoft Australia, and you're with Troy and David on The In Show.
0: The In Show. David, Austin, Texas, South by Southwest Festival
1: sounded like an incredible experience. Well, South by Southwest is pretty much like the Adelaide Fringe on steroids. It is unbelievable, the amount of people, the amount of activity, the noise from all of the music and the cultural activities that are going on, and... um, just the amount of people from all walks of life in the world there. I mean, people that are just music lovers that come to the city just for that. There are film lovers that just come to the city just for that. And then there's the tech component of of South by Southwest. Now, remembering South by Southwest is a music festival. It began as a small boutique little festival that had four or 5,000 people attending. It was a showcase that got um, bands and artists recognized and seen. And then all of a sudden, they did one little thing one year, and that was launch Twitter from the that festival. As soon as that happened, the text component of it, they call it the interactive component, absolutely exploded. Wow. And as a result now, there's around 120, 130,000 people that go in just for the technology and interactive component. And then there's a film festival that sort of bridges the gap between the, the interactive festival and the music festival, and then the music festival carries on. And now they're getting massive artists, really global names that are, that are performing at these festivals. Unbelievable.
0: Sounds incredible. Now, amidst all of that, you managed to grab time with the Mayor of Office Austin, Steve Adler. I don't know how you,
1: you pulled that one off. Well, you know, fortunately we have a great relationship with the Lord Mayor here in Adelaide, and with Adelaide being a sister city to Austin, our Lord Mayor reached out to the, the, the Mayor of Austin, Steve Adler, and we ended up getting 40 minutes together, which I just can't believe that uh, in the midst of what was going on at South By, he was able to be that generous with his time. And here's what he had to say. Steve, we're here in the midst of South By Southwest at the moment, one of the world's largest music and technology festivals. This must be absolutely exciting times for you, just seeing an event such as this just growing and growing and growing.
2: You know, no question. What's really exciting about it is that so many people come to see South By, but South By is the truest expression of who we are as a city and a community. So to be able to, to, to share that and participate in the excitement is, is huge. And it gets especially nice to be able to sit down with somebody from uh, Adelaide. We have a tremendous piece of art hanging in City Hall that Adelaide gifted to us. So it's an exciting time.
1: A lot of people know about South By, but a lot of people don't know about the city of Austin as an innovation city. There's so much going on where you've, you've been able to attract all of these major brands and major tech companies to Austin. How has that happened?
2: You know, it's true. Uh, Austin is an innovation capital. We have, we have more startups per capita here, I think, than anywhere else in the world, more than Silicon Valley. And, uh, we know we've been rated as the number one city to start a new tech uh, venture. we have the largest uh, apple campus outside of california the largest facebook campus outside of california and it's all happening in the fastest growing metropolitan area in the country which has been that for the last 6 years so the question is why i mean how does that how does that happen in the city and and frankly i think it's 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 part of the the culture and the dna of this city i got here 40 years ago uh came down here for ut not intending to stay like a lot of people, I got stuck at the university in large measure because of the music uh, that, that we had here. Uh, but it's always been a city that's been innovative and creative and entrepreneurial, and it is culturally tied. But most importantly, this has always been a city where it's been okay to take risks. It's always been uh, okay to, to, to try something different in this city. In fact, the folks that exceed the first time out are kind of suspect in this town because you never know whether they were good or if they were uh, just lucky uh, so the real civic folk heroes are the people that tried something and it didn't quite work the way they wanted, and they had to, they had to iterate and, and try again and iterate and try again and iterate and try again, and that is the startup process. I mean, the, 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 you know, come up with a really good idea. You get a, a funding stream that gives you 12 months to hit your metrics, and the gun goes off, and then you're, you're trying to hit those metrics so you can get into a second funding round. So the watchword, you know, that you can get on T-shirts and coffee mugs there in town is keep Austin weird. To me, that has always meant this is a community where it is okay to be different. It's okay to try things. And when you take risk and and you make it something that's acceptable, where it is okay not to succeed, that's where innovation is born. Because people who innovate have to feel free to try things, to not get punished for trying things, to, to be celebrated for just trying things, whether they ultimately work or not. Because you're going to learn, other people are going to learn from that. That's kind of what this city, it's, it's like in our air and in our water here.
1: One thing that sort of blows me away about Austin is, is that very fact and that it seems like anything's possible here. The people seem to have this energy about them that that is, is really forward thinking and um, I don't hear very many people complaining but I'm sure that as a city growing so fast this must prove to be quite challenging in some areas is how are you sort of dealing with that from a leadership perspective and I I know you know I take to heart things when when I find people are having challenges and and I, I just wonder what are the sort of measures that you personally put in place to to sort of not take that to heart but actually help them to or help people to to see a bigger picture
2: well, to the degree that, that you've been here and, and, and you're under the impression that everybody's on the same page. You haven't been out enough to talk to people. Too much time at South By. Uh, you know, they, what they say about Austin is that we suffer from terminal democracy uh, here in the city, uh, which is which is true and one of the reasons why I love this place. I mean, our city council meetings go 12, 14, 16 hours wow. when they start. I mean, the, the people in our community that want to come down and, and be able to speak directly to the city council on, on issues, we have 60 or 70 citizen uh, and resident uh, boards and commissions on varying topics uh, that are an integral part of, of how the, the, the government uh, and the civic system in this city work. And, and almost on any issue in this city, you can find at least, you know, a quarter of the people that will be on the other side of it, sight unseen. Uh, so this is a city where, we're, where we are cutting edge on a lot of things, uh, and that brings a lot of people out. We're a city that is growing so fast uh, that, that there is so much change that's happening and there is real concern that we will change in a way that will lose what it is that's special about that spirit and soul in this city, and that's something that is hotly debated and contested in our city. Uh, you know, we put a really high value on on, on transparency and on uh, community engagement in our city, and I think those are the two things which which best enable any civic structure to be able to deal. Uh, with with whatever it is that, that 's happening, uh, but then again those are all those are our values of the city.
1: so how did you get into what you're doing now obviously you didn't start as wanting to be a mayor in your career. what, what tell us about your journey?
2: you know actually, uh, up until uh, four years ago when I ran, this was the farthest thing from my mind i 've lived in this city for four decades and I got here as a student and the city's been so good to me and to Diane. There were two things uh, that that happened. Uh, Four years ago, we changed the form of government in the city of Austin. We went from uh, a mayor and six council members, all elected at large in the city, to a government that broke the city into ten districts, with each district being able to elect its own representative, with only the mayor elected at large. So we were about to have a city council that basically had an entirely new group of people. Um, and would be people that virtually none of them, maybe one, had ever served on city council before. So th- a lot of things were going to change. We looked around uh, the country at other cities or counties that had gone to a bi district representation, and many of them kind of lost their way for the first four to eight years because it devolved into a ward politic system where districts were, representatives were only concerned about that district and not what was good for a city generally. So there was a group of us, that, a large group of us, that thought that you know we really needed to reach outside of the incumbents and, and bring in a mayor that would also be new to work with everybody to, to help take the city to this new place. Uh, and we went out and, and tried to find people that would be good to, to run for mayor, and there were some really good ones, and they, and they all told us no. So eventually, we we kind of locked ourselves in a room and said somebody has to stop what they're doing and go do this because somebody needs to. And my uh, wife uh, turned to me at one point and said, "You know, you come home in the night and 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 you complain." She said, "You know, you either need to do this or don't ever come home and complain again because you will have lost the moral authority to do that." So I did. So I I, I ran and and. What an honor to be mayor of this city at this time.
1: And obviously you're very passionate about this place as well. Like you can see it in, in, just in your eyes and the passion and the, the way you speak about Austin. How much has that been a driver for you to actually go through this process? Because, I mean, it's a thankless job, really. I mean, you're you know, you're the, the brunt of everybody's complaints. And whenever you do something great, everyone you know tears it down generally. How are you sort of, yeah, dealing with that?
2: Well, you know, part of it is that you know I'm a little bit older. You know, probably my perspective on this would have been different if I was still, you know, in my 20s or my 30s, uh, but at some point you get to a place in life where, uh, you know, what other people say about you or, you know, whether people like you or don't like you, or it just doesn't have the same import that it, that it had before. You know, I go home at night and and so long as Diane is happy to see me and loves me and my three girls uh, uh, think that I'm okay, I mean, really, that, that, is, that is pretty much sufficient. And then you, you have to be driven by doing what you think is, is right and, and best. Uh, and you try to find that North Star as best you can on anything that you're dealing with. And then, and then you do it. And you're going to please some people and other people aren't, aren't going to like it. And then this is, you know, in any kind of government role like this, you have it for, you know, in this system... Uh, you know, a short period of time, then you turn it over to somebody else. You hand the gavel over to somebody else and so so you recognize that that you have this position only for a relatively brief period of time. You do the best job you can. Somebody else is gonna pick it up after you uh, and and that's all that you can do.
1: So what's exciting you at the moment about what's happening in Austin?
2: Well I tell you there are a lot of things that are exciting about this city. Uh, Like I say, you know, we're growing leaps and bounds, and that's both good and bad. I mean, for all the wonderful things that are happening in this city, we have huge affordability issues in this city, and uh, we're losing people and we're losing communities. You know, we like to call ourselves the the live music capital of the world, but we're not going to be the live music capital of the world for much longer if we start losing music venues in our city. We need to do something about affordability. We need to do something about mobility in this city. You know, there was a period of time it, it, you know, where, where Austin didn't provide the infrastructure that it needed based on the mistaken belief that if you didn't build the infrastructure, people would stop coming. Well, it doesn't work that way. That's a pretty failed strategy. But we're behind the eight ball now in, in terms of a lot of mobility things. And those two challenges go together with one another, and we're not going to solve one of them without the other. So I, I, I love this city, and again, and it's been me, wonderful for me and for my family. For many people there 's an, an excitement here there's a there 's a, a dynamic element here, but it all comes out of, of of a very progressive welcoming city that we have always been and and will always be. It gets a little bit harder sometimes to be a progressive city in, 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 in our country, given what 's happening uh, at the national level and and Austin, I like to think is kind of like an oasis in the middle of Texas. Uh, which is a very conservative state uh, but Austin is a, a progressive welcoming community and and it attracts for people who self-select as wanting to live uh, in that kind of of city so ultimately it's it's the people that are here and, and choose to be here
1: obviously cities are it's jobs are really important to cities um, are you seeing growth in jobs as well as the the fact that you know, you're getting all these tech companies coming in. Is that, is that great for the, the local community as well?
2: Well, you know, Austin is less than lucky in that uh, we're, we're creating jobs, and we're creating jobs at a, at a rate that is real high. Unemployment in this city is like 2.7%, uh, which is probably uh, too low uh, for, a, for a healthy economy. Our employment issue in this city is not so much creating jobs, but in making sure that the people that live here that, that need to find middle skill jobs can actually find them. You know, we have 30,000, 40,000 people here that are looking for work and 30 or 40,000 jobs that are looking for people to fill them. And we don't match up well. Uh, so a lot of the emphasis in this city is investing on training opportunities, on companies that will bring in middle skill jobs. Of, uh, jobs for people that don't necessarily have a four-year degree but have a high school diploma and some certificate or training or two-year associates uh, degree and that's really our focus right now.
1: how important is the uh, the role of the hubs where you have you know easy access for, for startups and co-working spaces and all those sorts of things I know Austin's got a lot of these hubs happening um, how important do you feel that is to build the ecosystem?
2: I think all the the, the incubators and accelerators that we have in the city are are critical to the city's ecosystem. You know, at all levels, you know, it it provides an opportunity for new ideas to become real. Uh, It provides uh, uh, immediately a networking opportunity for folks that are trying to, to get into new industries or new verticals. But it also uh, enables the folks who have been here for a while to uh, to be able to to return to others the, the, the knowledge and experience that they have. It provides the whole city investment opportunities that uh, wouldn't exist uh, with without that. It helps brand the city, uh, which is certainly uh, an important thing. But it also helps to ensure that that the new technologies that are coming out, the new companies that are coming out don't necessarily lead with the new technologies but they lead with the societal goals that we're trying to reach which is a different way of looking at things and it is a classically austin approach you know it's not about the shiny penny technology it's about trying to to cure food deserts in the city Uh, and and how do we do that and and what tools are available to us today to be able to do that that didn't exist five years ago or ten years ago or six months ago, that we can employ now to actually improve the quality of life for the people that live here. That was
0: David with the Mayor of Austin, Steve Adler, at South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas. Next week on The In Show.
1: Well, Troy, we've got Scott Burcock from Heggs Australia coming in. And remember we talked about his peg with a hook. I do? Yeah. Well, he's got a new invention that he's he's going to share with us.
0: Yeah, he was a sensation on Shark Tank. He's got his uh, product all over the world, and now he needs your help to get the next one off the
1: ground. Yeah, can't wait to find out more about that one.
0: Plus, Claire's going to have more innovation news from all around the world. Don't forget to resubscribe to the intro on iTunes, too. That's the new feed with the coloured
1: logo. And listen to the podcast. Rate us five stars if you like as well. Well, it's so great to be home, Troy, and be back with you in the studio again. And we're going to wrap up the show today with Wendy Perry, who's providing some advice to employers to ensure their workforce strategies are relevant in the face of continuous change.
4: Well, they definitely need to keep that eye on externally, like where things are moving and what are some of the changes. But... The best thing that I think employers can do is ask their workforce. Like I have people say to me, oh, what's the latest thing on retaining your workforce? I'm like, well, ask your workforce mm-hmm. what it is, rather than think there's some magic thing. And there's a lot of surveys, you know, done about why people leave. But usually it's, it's because of the first, next person, you know, up the rank sort of thing, the, the manager supervisor. And it's not as much usually about salary and these sorts of things. In different sectors, like say, for example, um, aged care, community services, health disability, that's much more of a values-based proposition usually for people. So is there a match there? But the best thing is to literally get your workforce involved in helping you design any retention or performance strategies and get them to feed into your, your workforce plan as well.
0: The In Show, presented by David Grice and Troy Sincock. News by Shannon Corvo and Claire Murphy. Music by Zach Grice. Produced by Jason Walker. Subscribe to The In Show podcast on iTunes.
5: A Dave and the Beanstalk production.